So, how long we got? Where's our destination today? I don't know. We got 20 miles to cover. Let's talk some movies. People don't know how to drive. Are we going to get lunch on this gig? You see anything good recently? Uh, we got a little time, Steve. Let's do a podcast. Sounds good. Film Driven, I'm Andre Shane. And I'm Steve Haskin. And we are back for our special quarantine watch list episode. And Steve, I don't know about you, it's kind of weird. I mean, for the first time in the history of our podcast, nobody's driving. We're not going it. We're sitting in, in, in a friggin' room. Yeah, yeah, we are. Uh, we're not being driven around anywhere we're not going to any we're certainly not going to a gig no 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 god no uh and who knows when we are going to one next which uh fortunately looking at the bright side of the whole thing leaves us a hell of a lot of time to watch uh, a lot of tv <laughs> yeah i mean uh you know apart from uh uh i don't know about you andre but mon monday through friday involves uh Somewhere between eight and ten hours of childcare a day, so yes. uh, there is that there factor. Is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, I just in honor of the little kids who are even more obnoxiously trapped in this thing than than us adults who you know who have rich internal lives by this point in our lives. The little kids, you know, they just they just need. They need energy, you know, and uh, and I even have a, a kid suggestion here, Steve. That's that's how much I care. What's uh, so? What's your what? Are, what are you leaning towards in this bizarre time of uh, of uh, isolation and uh, quarantine and disease and that and fear? What's <laughs> what's what's your what's your go to? What's your what's your happy place, Steve? Well, it's interesting. I've uh, I've decided to use this time to check out. Um, I've gone for some maybe artier fare than normal. Excellent. Like maybe part of it is uh, just being around the kids, but also of like, you know, this sounds a bit corny, but this is something I believe that like it does times like this make me think about the power of art. And uh, so while there's uh, there's comfort viewing and things like that, I also have kind of enjoyed like. Let's explore, you know, that maybe kind of odd movie I've had in my Netflix queue for a while, never got around to. Like, maybe now's the time. But uh, So I've been revisiting a bunch of things that I'd noted down and hadn't seen. Um, what about you, Andre? I absolutely love that. I, I uh, uh, completely agree. The power of art is really the only thing we have to reliably lean on in these uh, times. And, uh, of course... We are thankful that our, you know, national crisis of a lifetime comes in the form of just sitting in our comfortable homes, watching uh, some excellent television and film. I mean, it certainly beats 
running through the forest escaping genocide or, uh, uh, you know, like literally just dropping dead of this disease you catch instantly. So yes. keeping it, keeping it positive where we got a lot of stuff going for us. And I don't know. It's like, remember I, there was a time like when this thing started, obviously it took us a little time to get around to recording, uh, a, a, an episode of film driven. Uh, and now that we're a month, basically, or over a month into this quarantine, uh, we've actually gathered a lot of material, but, but initially we were talking, remember we were talking about doing an episode that just deals with movies that deal with pandemics and your, you know, your outbreak and your pandemic and your virus, virus, whatever, whatever all those movies are. And, uh, I don't like that genre, so I did not want to no. go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I know, uh, so supposedly, uh, that movie Contagion, uh, it's been one of the biggest uh, rentals on like Amazon and iTunes. Like it's not streaming for free, so you gotta no, pay you gotta for your turn. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm not really been in the mood to watch movies about a deadly virus that uh, makes you die alone in a hospital. But, uh, <laughs> I got enough of that from uh, from the news. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true, uh, and uh, and it's it's kind of funny. Like the the equivalent would be like if we're in a lifeboat surrounded by sharks, and we somehow have our TV viewing options. Like I'm not I'm not popping on Jaws. You know what I'm saying? Yes. For the same yes, reason. exactly. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be doing that. Now, uh, I might watch, you know, like, horror is certainly on the table. Like, oh. I'm not a, yeah, but, uh, but uh, an unrelated horror. For sure. I like, so, so my, my choice, my entryway into this world of quarantine viewing, it was actually movies that deal with the concept of isolation more. And that's sort of been been what's what appeals to me now i don't want to watch a lot of those movies but i've seen a i've seen a couple of ones that really kind of got me excited and one of them i know you've seen as well and that's uh robert eggers lighthouse yes uh and uh that is a that is a crazy ass movie and i mean it's uh it's not for everybody clearly it is well you probably know what it is it's it's uh willem dafoe and uh uh, Robert Pattinson and uh, their lighthouse keepers. The film is black and white. It's shot in an old square aspect ratio, like a movie from like 1931 or whatnot. And uh, and uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, well, Robert Eggers, he, uh, his previous movie was The Witch, uh -huh. uh, a horror movie that I just... Have you seen The Witch, Andre? Well, I started watching it, and I was so horrified that I stopped. So yeah, it was you mean good. That, you mean that the uh, you were afraid of it or the quality of the? Witch? No, I was afraid of it. Oh, okay, yeah. So, well, Robert Eggers has done this thing. Uh, he he's kept this gimmick going for two movies now. We'll see how long it lasts. Where uh, he at least claims that almost all of his dialogue is based on writings from the time period when the movie took place. Right. Like right. he's not uh, transcribing a diary per se, but it's he has like read diaries from this time and then tried to make his dialogue like that. Now, uh, I don't know about you, Andre. I personally have not read a lot of diaries from the 1800s. No. So, uh, you know, I, I have to take 
uh, Mr. Eggers worked for this. Right. Um, but, but anyway, the witch. When I, the main reason I bring it up, uh, I quite like the witch. The witch is anecdotally a pretty divisive horror movie. Where there are some people who are like, "Wow, the witch is." great scary it's creepy and then i know a lot of people who like horror movies uh not even necessarily the gory ones but they just like you know a little bit more straight up horror movie uh-huh. and uh, the witch enraged them like it just was uh really crossed their too arty line so i i kind of enjoy the um for his next movie this guy is like hey if you thought the witch was arty have i got a, a new move for you i'm gonna make a movie that's even weirder and artier uh, starring less people that's <laughs> even less accessible. Um, I mean, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are, you know, bigger stars than the stars of the witch, but yes, still it's, sure. uh, and probably the only way he got any money. This movie. Um, but yeah, I saw the lighthouse in the theater. Um, it's a, it's an odd one. Uh, it does have jokes. Um, if you're a big, if you enjoy Willem Dafoe at all, I will, say this is some good Defoe. Oh, classic Defoe. Classic Defoe, absolutely. The beard, the whole like R matey, the pirate way he's got a lot of talk of talking. It's 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 super fun. It's super fun. And and and, and what you were saying about this whole dialogue thing, the way they talk, like there's very little like it's it's a it's a weird movie. Like a lot of the stuff when they they're talking, it's like really irrelevant to what's actually going on. Like like all of their conversation could be just sort of bracketed into like revealing secrets. Uh, yeah. That is relevant, the, but there's only like two of those conversations. The rest is just Willem Dafoe telling fish tales and uh, Robert Pattinson being defiant and uh, arguing with him and so so on and so forth. and uh, and uh, I heard Eggers was like really like influenced by uh, uh, Herman Melville and Moby Dick and that, sure. that kind of dialogue and uh, also Robert Louis Stevenson who wrote at the same time. So uh, it's got that vibe, which is a little, it's a little weird. You know what I mean? I like the people really talk like that. I don't know, but the movie is so crazy. And so, I mean, it's the, the genre here is not so much isolation. It's sort of a slow descent into madness. It's that genre, you yes. know, of, of horror. And, um, if you're a fan of that genre, uh, this is uh, this movie is for you. It's gonna it's gonna impress you, and it's visually so striking and 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 interesting. And uh, and I don't know, like I don't know what you think of that ending. Did you did you feel like there like did you feel satisfied? Is it possible to feel satisfied in movies like this? I, I felt pretty satisfied by it. I uh, it, you know without giving it away, I will say as a movie goer, I am not someone who everything needs to make sense for me yeah like i am fine if the movie especially a movie like this uh if the movie just feels kind of emotionally satisfying that uh like it, you where the movie ends you're like well, it, it kind of works on an emotional level and if you try to logically be like well what exactly happened there uh you'll might get pretty frustrated but i don't know it didn't really bother me that much so i i kind of enjoyed how it ended i mean also with uh, a descent into madness you know, there's kind of a question of it. if your whole storyline is just a descent into madness then at some point you're like well i guess we just we got to wrap it up somewhere right <laughs> like there, everyone's crazy enough 
Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I will say this movie is, you know, obviously because it takes place in a lighthouse and it's by definition landlocked, uh, it's very much, you know, it's a sea movie. It's, um, it's in its own way, an example of a genre that I don't typically like, but I did enjoy this movie. I always call it the men on boats genre that, uh, of which Moby Dick, of course, is one of the, uh, the titans of the men on boat story. <laughs> Uh, the men on boat stories uh, would always frustrate me, both in literature and in film, just because there's always a slog part of it where it's just the men describing how they're on the boat and there's nothing to do on the boat and they're eating the same stuff and they're getting kind of bored and, you know, frustrated. And uh, yes, this is, uh, even though there's time. no boats. Uh, yeah, this is basically a men on boat story. It's but they very, and but they are on the sea exactly, and there's all of very these sea. Yes, yeah, it's it super is. nautical, and you get these weird. You know, it's just one of the again the the the, the slow descent into madness is really you sort of you sort of stop noticing the difference between reality and, and, and hallucination, you know, and that movie, this movie has a lot of that. And, and again, it's, I thought it moved along actually surprisingly well for a movie yeah. like that. A lot of movies like this tend to be a little slow. Uh, the lighthouse is not, it moves along pretty well. It's not, doesn't overstay its welcome and has, uh, you know, certainly has the crazy payoff. You know, the, the, the craziness, the, the craziness payoff quotient is high in this one. You know, it's not like one of those, uh, I don't know, there, there are certain movies of the genre, I think have a tendency to sort of be stingy with a crazy and this one's not, it's, it's really generous. So, yeah. And, uh, it's another, uh, part of the other main actor in this, of course, is Robert Pattinson, who mm -hmm. continues, uh, this guy's had a pretty interesting career that, you know, he was the star of these Twilight movies, which were uh, very successful based on like young adult literature, the sparkly vampire movies, which, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for you, Andre, but I'm going to guess that neither <laughs> one of us were big into uh, the Twilight series. But so this guy was a teenage heartthrob. There was a time there, you know, about five, eight years ago, where he was kind of like the closest we had to uh, Leo in the late 90s. Right. And um, since then, that guy has done um, maybe a more extreme version of what Johnny Depp did, where he's like, you know what, I've or made Leo. a lot of money. Yeah. And he's like, now I want to go make some art movies. So uh, this is the latest in that. He's also made, and when I say some art movies, I mean, that's what, like, you know, Leo wanted to do serious movies, and he's certainly worked for with... For big-time directors, yeah. For big-time directors, yeah. But still, like, you know, like, mainstream, mainstream enough. Mainstream, right. Yeah, whereas Robert Pattinson did, you know, he worked with Cronenberg a couple times on some yeah. of the lesser known Cronenberg movies. He did a movie I watched called the childhood of a leader, uh -huh. which is, uh, I'm super arty. <laughs> and, uh, then he did a uh, good time, which is, right. uh, you know, a movie I quite like, but that's the, uh, the Safdie brothers, the movie before their big hit. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, incidentally, also while we're talking about it, that's strongly recommended. Good time. It's on. Good time's uh, great. It's yeah. on Netflix now. You could watch it again. It's a tight, kind of hectic New York drama. You know, from another time when people used to interact a little more closely than they, they do now. Uh, so if you're uh, nostalgic for New York the way it was a year ago. <laughs> 
yeah. a good time is for you. And yeah. uh, but uh, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, well, no, I was just saying a little shout out to Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson, uh, who spits really, on the screen, and he's good in these movies too. Like he's not a, it's it's not just a pretty face who's uh, slumming it. And, um, no, he actually gives really good performances, and he holds his own against crazy Willem Dafoe. Which oh, not very can easy. Do. Yeah, absolutely. No, both performances are great. They're both big and subtle. I mean, Pattinson is more the pr- protagonist of the film, if you could say that. So he actually carries more weight. He's on screen longer, though he's got less dialogue. Uh, but uh, either way, I you know, The Lighthouse, not for everybody. Very artsy, but... What else you got to do? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the uh, so the the first movie I watched in my quarantine status. I don't know if uh, you had seen this or not, Andre, but I uh, ponied up to watch the new version of The Invisible Man at my house. Oh, fantastic! Um, and it's uh, I know it was in theaters, but I had not seen it. I kind of wanted to. Uh huh. And it's one of those. Um, I don't know why, but it was kind of the first movie that got released you know, to homes at a time when normally it would still be in the theaters. Right, right, right. And so as such, it's like, you know, it costs $20 as opposed to oh, four or five or something. up 20 bucks. Huh? I did. I just did it once. You know, I don't know why my quarantine emotional result is that I need to somehow help out Blumhouse and Universal Pictures. But it was one of those, like, I felt like I was somehow supporting the movies. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but I, I watched The Invisible Man, and um, it's really good. I don't. Have, did you get a chance to see it? I have not seen The Invisible Man. I've heard very good things about it. Did you like it? I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a feminist version on The Invisible Man. It only it doesn't have very much to do with the original story of the Invisible Man. With the H.G. Wells book, good. Because that's, that's, it's, you know, that was barely scary for the late 19th century when he wrote it. Yeah, so they they take a lot of liberties with that, which is fine. I mean, it does still, there there is an an Invisible Man (laughs) in the movie, so uh, it doesn't skimp on that part. Sure. Um, but no, it's a great thriller, and uh, Elizabeth Moss is excellent as usual. But um, uh-huh. yeah, so I mean, I you know you could probably wait until the price comes down on that one. But uh, <laughs> it was also uh, an excellent distraction. Like if nothing else, right? That was kind of right when uh, shit went down. Right. And uh, for the duration of that movie, I did not think about anything other than what was on going on in the movie. So definitely something I, I've been wanting to see. Uh, but again, there's so many options. It's such a yeah. good world. We got well, we got TV, too. Now you're talking about long-term distractions, right? Uh, I did want to get back to my second isolation film, and I'll talk about it fairly quickly. It's on Amazon. It's called Arctic. It's directed oh. by Joe Pena, who I'm not too familiar with, uh, but... Uh, it's not his first film, uh, but it stars uh, one of my favorite actors, Mads Mikkelsen, the great Danish movie star. And, of course. Uh, uh, and the movie basically is about a guy who crashes in the Arctic. It's set in current times. It's modern. And that guy is played by the great Mads Mikkelsen. And, uh, and basically he has to survive. It's as simple as that. It's really a tale of man against nature. What makes it interesting is... 
that his character is perfectly happy crash landing in the middle of the Arctic because he is a lifelong loner and borderline Arctic survivalist. The drama of that movie comes in is when he has to save another person. And uh, and it's just uh, it's just a perfect role for Mads Mikkelsen, who could say virtually nothing for the entire film and still be uh, impossible to take your eyes of. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a fun survival movie. It's a tight movie. Uh, it will definitely leave you on the edge of your seat at times. Uh, but at other times, it'll just kind of move along in, at a somewhat glacial pace. But again, what else you got to do? Uh, so I really, I really liked Arctic. And of course, Arctic then set me off on a whole Mads Mikkelsen marathon, which is great. You could, you could sort of catch his work on other, on other networks. But, uh, the thing it really led me to was that, like, I'll switch to the TV on Amazon again, Mads Mikkelsen's great TV series from a few years back, Hannibal is uh, streaming and uh, boy, that's a great show. And uh, I've been watching it again. It ages great. It is, does not feel dated. It's extremely stylish still. Uh, it's very uh, witty and uh, intelligent. It is extremely disgusting and, and violent. So if that's not your bag, that's not your show, but I, I would assume that it, you would know that a show about Hannibal Lecter is not going to be, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not gentle. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to be rated G, you know? And, uh, that show is weird. Cause that was on NBC, Steve, NBC held on to that show for like three seasons. And I have absolutely no idea how a show like that even belonged on network television. I mean, it was, it's friggin' disturbing, like really, really disturbing, Steve. There's some nasty shit in that show and uh um i don't am i selling it enough am i i feel like I'm <laughs> you know i i have i have sadly never seen it it has been sold to me before i should check it out and uh, i will say that show you know it had a cult passionate following yes. and what i have picked up which is kind of interesting is every now and then i'd see discussions on like twitter or facebook or not like about like what's the nicest fan base you know that because people complain about there's certain star wars fans who get all up in your face about this or that and you know so sometimes like well what's the nicest fan base and a couple times i've seen arguments that the nicest fan base are fans of the show hannibal in terms of how they interact with each other that uh they're all intelligent and kind of nice and don't just like pile on people so oddly enough this disgusting show is uh well liked by people who are <laughs> quite kind to each other in real life apparently i have to say the show is not disgusting it doesn't really revel in the gory too much and it doesn't have it does have violence on-screen violence but but, you know, it's a show, it's a very psychological show. And I would say that the, the main show that it really reminds me of now that I'm re-watching it is actually Mindhunter on Netflix, the David Fincher program. We talked about it a couple of times yeah. as well. And I, you watched Mindhunter, right? I did watch Mindhunter, yes. Yeah, I like the, Mindhunter quite a lot. This yeah. show has, has a weird connection to Mindhunter because it deals with the same sort of psychological... Uh, unit of the FBI only it deals with it 
you know, 40 years later. So you could view Mindhunter as a prequel to Cannibal if you choose. Yeah. Uh, so Hannibal actually has a lot, of, a fair amount of violence, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Unlike Mind, Mindhunter. Yeah, Mindhunter is one of those things. I like Mindhunter quite a lot, um, but I've... It's a show that I feel I do a terrible job selling to people because there's certainly ways you can describe Mindhunter where it just sounds really boring. Well, you know um, what? It actually uh, is kind of boring. It's super talky. Uh, it's all atmosphere with actually – it's – like I remember describing the show to people like, oh, it's about people hunting serial killers. It's super violent and gross, right? And the thing is it's not no. really. I mean there's little snippets here and there, but – you know, it's mostly based on people who are talking to people right. who've already committed crimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. and it is disturbing on that level, too, though, Steve. You know, it's like you cannot literally discount the fact that that show managed to be definitely disturbing from people talking. And the reason it's yeah. disturbing is because it's taken from actual transcripts of conversations with serial killers. And... Um, and the Hannibal has some of the same elements. I mean, that's that's where it really reminds me of Mindhunter, um, is that it involves a lot of psychological conversations. It, they they because Hannibal, of course, was a psychiatrist, and that show is very much built about him around his psychiatric practice. He doesn't spend most of the show killing and eating people. He spends most of the show psychoanalyzing people, and then yeah. figuring out who to course who would be the tastiest who would uh, be the tastiest yes. <laughs> but uh but it's a show i highly recommend it's it's really it's really well done it's artistic it's beautiful to look at and uh it moves along nice if you got nothing better to do uh watch it it's not the funniest show on television and it's <laughs> not but it does have a very dark sense of humor to it and uh, i really couldn't recommend it more i think it's i think it's excellent um what about you? Are you watching any TVs or TV shows or your? Well, uh, I I'll get to that in a second. But I want to bring up one other like a uh, kind kind of art film that uh -huh. I've been meaning to watch. That it was called Fast Color that I watched on Amazon. It's free if you have Amazon Prime. Uh -huh. have, have you heard of this movie? Andre? No, I haven't. It's a it's an independent movie. It's basically a superhero movie um, about a family where everyone in the family it kind of passes down how they have powers uh -huh. but they don't quite you know know how to use them um like is the the main character in the movie is uh, kind of the middle generation the uh, it's a woman in her like maybe late 20s early 30s uh -huh. probably late 20s and she escapes from somewhere and travels back to her home where her mom and her daughter live. And you kind of find out, you know, without giving too much away that this family has always had powers in the family. Oh. But then the, the main character has really struggled with, she couldn't control it and her powers would um, like affect things around her and almost cause harm to people. So, she uh time she'd run away she'd have problems with drugs this and that but uh it's an interesting it's a great little independent movie um it's not you know going to change your life or anything like right. that um but it's a 
it's just like a solid independent movie where if you're you're hankering for something like that we're like you know it's been a while since i've seen a movie that didn't cost a ton to make but it's still very professionally done it's pg-13 it's got a couple little harsh bits but nothing too bad if you're looking for something you want to watch that's a little off the beaten track a little more family friendly yeah more family friendly uh, than hannibal or the lighthouse correct correct (laughs) but also you know not not a little kid movie so if you know something you can enjoy with like an older child yeah absolutely that's 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 fantastic and uh i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna watch that that sounds that sounds real good steve and this is this is what one of the things film driven is all about is to Recommend things people would normally see. This is absolutely yeah. perfect for us. It's it almost makes up for not being able to drive around while we're talking. I, I don't <laughs> That's know. right. My next film is sort of going back to my uh, Mans Mickelson obsession, and it's on Netflix. It's called Polar. It's a an original <laughs> made for Netflix thing. Now he, this is weird, right? His last movie was called Arctic. And this yes. one is called Polar. They could actually switch those names and it still wouldn't really matter. Uh, and that also makes it confusing. But this one is not about a plane crash. It's um, it's kind of a crazy hitman movie. I would put it in the, well, I would put it almost in the same subgenre as John Wick. It's extremely action-oriented, but it's got a heart, and it's got a fun story, and uh, it's off, it's wacky, it's off the wall, it's extremely violent as well, but, you know, in a different, different way than some of their movies and shows that we described, and uh, it's just well done. It's not for everybody. You gotta be into your sort of John Wick ultra-violence type of film, but within that... Polar is uh, is pretty badass. Yeah, uh, Mads Mikkelsen is uh, certainly no stranger to the ultraviolence. Yes. Well, you know, he, it's funny. He, he has such a broad range. You know, he does all... Like, yes, the things I named are extremely violent, but in, then he has movies where he's a romantic lead or, or it's some, some historical piece that's not necessarily violent. Or, you know, where he's a school teacher in a small town in Denmark. He's all over the place and he can do it all, which is why he's one of my favorite actors right now. You know, it's like the guy, the guy is, uh, is, uh, is really talented, you know, and he speaks multiple languages. Like you watch a French movie with Mads Mikkelsen, he's speaking French, you know, and you watch like a Norwegian movie and he's speaking Norse. It's, that's not his native language. And so it's kind of cool. You know, he's all over the place. I think he speaks like eight languages or something. It's crazy. Um, so again, polar recommended for a certain mood, Steve, the mood to kill people. (laughs) That's what, uh, you know, real briefly, speaking of isolation and the mood to kill people, uh, one of the movies that I had in my queue, I'm like, ah, it's finally time to watch that. As I watched, you were never really here. Uh, the other uh joaquin phoenix lives with his mom and kills people movie yes uh not to be confused of the one where he's a clown um so yeah it's from uh, an earlier time uh by lynn ramsey uh lynn ramsey's one of those directors i've heard of and have never actually seen any of her movies uh-huh. so this was the first one um it's a tight 90 minutes um i quite enjoyed it without you know taking a lot 
away from it. I kind of wonder if I'll think about it again ever. Uh, but you've seen that movie and you were, you were not really a big fan. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, listen, if, first of all, it's Joaquin Phoenix, so I thought he was great. You know, like, he is he's a fantastic actor. He, he makes very interesting choices as an actor all the time. Um, and... Uh, and it's all, and he's, he transforms himself. So he's so committed to his performances, you know, like, like that, that may make him kind of a pain in the ass to work with from what, you know, what he himself says, but boy, man, I mean, like in this movie, this was made right around the time of the Joker and he weighs like, what is he, what do you think? What's, what's his weight in that film? About 200, 200 yeah, pounds of muscle. Yeah. Yeah, maybe even a little more because well, he's got he's got a very unique body shape in this. Um, whereas you know, in Joker, he looks like a man who's emancipated, emaciated. emaciated. In right. this one, well, in this one, he looks he specifically has the body of someone who used to work out a lot and has now let himself go somewhat. Yes, yes, it's such an interesting thing. He's exactly that's exactly what he is, and and what is he in this movie? He's like an ex special forces guy now think yeah. of this again like what like joaquin phoenix plays an ex like a military special forces guy yes and it's friggin totally convincing again he's one of those actors you could watch him in just about anything and it's going to be fantastic uh but the film i thought was kind of like I don't know. I, I, I was I was anxious throughout the film and not in a good way. Uh, but it is a great companion piece to the Joker. Yeah, it certainly is. They uh, would kind of slot in. I actually think that would make an interesting double bill if uh, you can <laughs> yeah, tolerate perfect, that much. Perfect double. You know, that's. I mean, that's. Uh, it is a lot of Joaquin Phoenix, who again is an actor I greatly admire, but he's uh, and not a lot of like light walking phoenixes you no, know like, no. not a guy that you know it seems pretty intense in his performance and as you said possibly in real life but um but yeah you were never really here also freebie on uh if you have an amazon prime subscription you can check it out uh it's super violent that one not for the kids uh, it's a good hammer movie if you're into hammers <laughs> not the so, Hammer Studio, not the classic movie. No, no, that no, like the that. literal tool, like you know, as in uh, things you would use for, you know, hanging up a picture or dispatching up a rapist. You know, either or. But yeah, so you were never really here. Uh, I like it more than you did, but you can check that out. But um, uh, speaking of uh, things that I I heard about, and you're like, now is the time to uh, finally watch this. I finally watched uh, Russian Doll on Netflix, Andre. Have you uh, seen yes. Russian Doll? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been watching Russian Doll. I'm not through with it yet, so. But uh, but that is a de definitely interesting show, right? Natasha Lyonne. Uh, it's kind of a weird. Uh, Groundhog Day-like uh, concept to some degree. Yeah. But so, pretty fresh. Uh, well, and also, uh, man, talk about a show. I mean, it was certainly made before all this uh, COVID stuff, but what about it? That's a show for our times, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, about, it's a movie about a woman who uh, is kind of reliving the same day, though it's in some ways every day seems the same, but just a little different. And, uh, and every day she's trying to figure out, well, what did I do wrong that maybe could make tomorrow different? And uh, that, that seems applicable to our times. Absolutely. Absolutely, Steve. It's very applicable. And uh, it is actually a fun show. And it's one of those shows that well, it, it, it operates in this world where 
you really don't know whether it's going to be a comedy or a drama from episode to episode, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's very agile when it comes to its genres. And, uh, and you know, a lot of times that Groundhog Day I, I concept, I have to be honest, I'm not a giant fan of Groundhog Day. And I'm not a giant yeah. fan of movies that do this, that where the, like, the same stuff is repeated over and over again. And that's been done before Groundhog Day, frankly, and it's been also done in a lot of television, episodic television, especially science fiction type stuff where people are kind of reliving the same thing over and over again. And uh, I've never been a giant fan of it. I've always found it kind of dull. And Russian Doll puts a different twist on it because she's not reliving the exact same thing. There's elements that she's reliving and then she just dies at a certain point every day. You know, and uh, so everything is completely different. And uh, she's trying to find, dig her way out of this situation. So there's not a lot of repetitiveness in this show. So uh, I, I like it, man. I like Russian Doll. Yeah, I like it quite a bit, too. It's also, uh, you know, it doesn't always pan out this way, but Natasha Leone's one of those actors who, you know, she had some kind of minor indie hits in the 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, it just seemed like the world never quite knew what to do with her. And, yeah. Um, well, she kind of she kind of had a meltdown. She she, she did kind of have a meltdown. Yeah, yeah. She had, yeah. She had a meltdown, and she's very upfront yeah. about her troubles with the substances and all that stuff over the years. But it's always we love a comeback, right? America loves a comeback, and and uh, right on for Natasha. Good, good. Yeah. Go for it, Russian doll. Uh, check it out that one's on netflix yeah. absolutely absolutely uh, wait, did you watch the did uh-huh. you watch the other big netflix show andre the one uh tiger king the king of the tigers steve of course yeah. we are i mean watching that show that i mean our our government assistance is dependent on us watching that show right i thought it was the <laughs> law I thought I saw the president say something about it the other day. Got to watch Tiger King or you won't get your stimulus package checks. Uh, so, yes, I did watch it. Uh, and, um, well, what are you going to say? I mean, what are you, everybody's watched it. Everybody's seen it by now. What does it say about us for being obsessed with Tiger King? What, what do you think Tiger King means at this point in human history? Well, I mean, I, you know, I am not someone who watches a lot of reality TV. Uh, I usually have a pretty low tolerance for that. But I mean, this really does seem like the just an excellent example of the idea of people will watch. uh, America wants to watch people who seem more fucked up than they are. (laughs) So that's, I feel like half the appeal of Tiger King is just like collectively we can be like, you know what? Those people are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We love to look down upon other people. That's really what, yeah, and that's really the basis of most reality TV. Some of it sure. is aspirational, like finding the perfect mate, which is you know that encompasses the other side of reality TV. But most of it is uh, you know is yeah. uh, like just looking down on people and saying, "Well, I'm an asshole, but that guy's a much bigger asshole than me." <laughs> I mean, I did, you know, it, it's an, I enjoy Tiger King. I don't want to act like I'm above it or all. Uh, I mean, my two big observations I had from it, um, I did kind of, I don't know if appreciate's the right word, but, you know, you're watching it and you're kind of having fun. And at first you're almost picking like, you know, I kind of like this guy or that guy. Right, right, right. And then there's a point, um, you know, around 
it's around like episode five or six of it where, um, I mean, not to spoil things too much, but one of the characters, I know, was person dies. Yeah. Yeah. And, it turns. And then it turns it on you. takes a dark turn and you start to realize, you know, like even the people you previously liked, most of them are pretty terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, um, so that, that I, I did enjoy that the show didn't like shy away from that part of it. I also just found it interesting. And I, I'd seen this a little bit where I grew up in Ohio that, you know, and in, in here in 2020, like, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this correctly. There's all sorts of things about, like, gay culture or alternative lifestyles that previously had only been associated with, like, the big city. Uh-huh. You know, that people would be like, well, like, you know, if most gay people moved to New York or San Francisco or even Atlanta or something like uh-huh. that. But, you know, as time goes on, all those things filter out. And one of the things that's not remarked on a lot in movies or TV is that when some of these notions get filtered out into more rural places, they come out kind of weird. <laughs> so, like, case in point is Joe Exotic. Like, you know, Joe Exotic's sexuality and how it's expressed and how he lives his life is, I mean, it's it ain't the village, people. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's its own... It's, it ain't Will and Grace, that's for sure. No, that's a better, yeah, it's this strange backwoods Oklahoma version of being gay. And so, you know, sometimes you see things he expresses and you have some sympathy for what it must be like to have been like a gay man in this town. But then there's other aspects of how he behaves that are pretty indefensible and terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Tiger King is a well-made documentary. I watched it. I enjoyed it. If you want to watch it, go ahead. But if you don't, don't, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but if you like tigers, there's lots of tigers in it. Also lions, ligers, and tigons. Yeah. If you don't know elephant. what those yeah, are. There's a, there's a, there's a whole host of things. Uh, is. It is also a lot of fun to imagine casting for the inevitable uh, fictionalized movies that are coming from I think they should make a movie where Matthew McConaughey plays every character in that show. Ooh, now that's now we're talking. You see, now we're into art. That's right, man. That's right. Uh, that's the kind of high creativity you get from film driven, uh, amongst other things. Any other documentaries that you've liked besides uh, Tiger King? Uh, I am behind on the documentaries, but uh, what about you? I saw a good one. I like. So the, most of the documentaries I like are either sports documentaries or music documentaries. Now, in the, since we're talking about rednecks, uh, the documentary on Netflix called ZZ Top, that little old band from Texas, yeah. uh, is perfect. ZZ Top is one of those bands, like everybody knows who they are. They have a very clear image. And it's just interesting to see all those guys talk about their lives and kind of get away from the the archetypal image that they've created. And plus, those guys have been around since the late 60s and have seen all kinds of developments in, in music. I mean, they toured with Jimi Hendrix and were friends with him. So it's like, uh, it's it, there's a lot of history of... American sort of rock music that comes into play and uh, a lot of good old boy shit in that one too. So it's kind of fun. Uh, and it's, 
you know, it's entertaining. It's it's an it's good escapism. And the other one is much more serious, and that's on Showtime. It's called Pariah, The Lives and Deaths of Sonny Liston. And Sonny Liston was a heavyweight champion in the 60s. Yeah. He was, uh, of course, famous for being kind of shady. Uh, he was an ex-con, uh, and uh, he died under rather mysterious circumstances of what appeared to be a drug overdose or could have been murder. And uh, the movie gets into all of that. So the movie's a very interesting portrait of not just America at that point, but, uh, you know, specifically the sport of boxing and how it functioned at that time. And it's, it touches upon a lot of interesting social issues and, uh, and it's just very well done. It's a, it's an excellent sports documentary in my opinion. And there's some, some surprises in that film. Like you'll be like going like, Whoa, <laughs> uh, at yeah. least I was, and I knew quite a bit about Sonny Liston going in. So, um, it's not heavy on the boxing, just so you know. So if you're one of those people that gets queasy watching two men punch each other, uh, you're not going to get an enormous amount of that, but you'll get some because, you know, it's the lives and deaths of Sonny Liston. Those are the two documentaries I, I recommend. Okay. Um, back back to TV shows, or you, you're, you're, you're still in a movie, movie recommendations? Well, I, uh, so... You mentioned you had a had a kid recommendation. I have a kid recommendation too. Um, awesome. We uh, we signed up for uh, the the Disney Plus. Uh -huh. uh, uh, we back because we did the Mandalorian by back in uh, pre COVID times. Sure. But um, so <laughs> we watched this movie that my son had read the books. He saw it. He was like, "Oh, let's watch that." It's called Timmy Failure: Colon Mistakes Were Made. Huh. Uh, it's a movie that went straight to Disney Plus, and you're kind of like, oh, okay. Um, so we're watching; it's pretty solid. Uh, you're like, you know, it's a kids' movie, like a good performance by the lead kid. It's flowing nicely. And uh, I looked up; you're like, what's the deal with this movie? And oddly enough, Andre, this movie is. Uh, do you remember the movie Spotlight that won Best Picture? Sure. This is the next movie by that director, Tom McCarthy. Wow. That uh, in the five years since Spotlight, he's worked on some TV. And um, then the next feature-length movie he made is Timmy Failure, Mistakes Were Made. Um, it's a it's movie good. about – it's solid. It's, uh, it's a story that you've heard before of about a kid who has an imagination and then imagines that he's like a spy – and so, he's, you know, in his mind, you see acted out what he think is happening. And then, you know, of course, what actually happens is that he's not a spy and there's a lot of damage caused. Um, but some great performances. It's just uh, it flows very nicely as a straight to Disney plus movie that you want to watch with your family. Uh, it was really high quality for that. Um, you know, there's a large chance a movie like that can make you want to rip your eyes out. <laughs> and this was not the case. Um, I mean, it did kind of reminded me of, um, I enjoyed the movie Spotlight quite a bit. It's, uh, like when that movie came out, it's, it's not the most cinematic movie in terms of like, you know, the shots aren't all that beautiful. It doesn't have a lot of camera movement, but what it does have is storytelling. Like it's just, uh, it laid out a complicated story very well. And I remember when it was up for best picture, it was up against the Revnet and a lot of people were kind of up in arms because the Revenant is a much more cinematic movie. Right. But, um, but I, uh, you know, I 
yeah, it's not like what should or shouldn't have won, but I, I think it was unfair to like crap on Spotlight because uh, I thought Spotlight's just good fashion storytelling and we're great. I remember watching it with my wife later and she was, you know, 90 minutes into it. She's like, I just want you to know I'm loving this. This movie could be four hours long. I'd watch all of it. And uh, so if you're looking for a movie to watch, particularly with maybe some slightly younger kids, like, you know, like 10 or, you know, it's not a little, little kid movie. Like the, the main character is in, uh, I think sixth grade. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Timmy Failure on Disney Plus is a solid family movie. Timmy Failure, awesome. Yeah, that's 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 kind of sounds fine. From the man who brought you Spotlight. From the man who brought you Spotlight. Yeah. Well, my my kids' movie uh, is is actually not a movie. It's a TV show. It's again on Netflix. It's called Symbiotic Titan. And uh, uh-huh. it's what's interesting about this show is that it's a lo- it's a it, it was a a show by a guy named Gendy Tartakovsky, who is actually an old friend of mine. But uh, I'm not recommending it because of that. G- uh, Gendy's had a lot of very successful stuff, including Hotel Transylvania and Samurai Jack. So you know he's he's very well established and certainly doesn't need my plug. But Symbiotic Titan was a show he did that he was worked very hard on and was kind of cool. And this, this show was, this, this goes back about 12 years. And essentially what ended up happening was that the show basically was shelved, right? Until now, literally a few months ago, it was picked up by Netflix. And now there's just a season of that show. So it's not a crazy amount of episodes. Uh, and you could watch it. It's an animated show. It's definitely for kids. It's got tons of action. It's got tons of comedy. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's easy. Uh, the concept is this brother and sister team, um, of high school kids are actually a princess from another planet and her personal bodyguard. And they come to earth to seek shelter. And of course, uh, uh, the, their enemies follow them to the planet where various kind of action, hilarity and, uh, robot on robot fighting occurs. It's fun. It's uh, light. And, uh, your kids, uh, I would say from the year five and onwards, uh, I think would really enjoy it. And it's got enough levels of humor in it that it covers a lot of kids, <laughs> I love a lot, it. A lot uh, of age I'm, group. Symbiotic. I'm right now. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, um, while we are in the world of Netflix, uh, I would recommend something for adults. Completely different. It's uh, It came out just prior to the start of this insanity, and it's a three-part miniseries. It's called Dracula. I don't know if you've heard of this character, Steve. He's a, <laughs> he's a vampire. There's a few films I think some people may remember over the years. But, uh, of course, I'm being sarcastic. It's friggin' Dracula. It's been done a million times. We've seen it a million times. What can this show do differently? Well, this show was produced by Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat for the BBC. They have previously have done a little show called Sherlock, which yeah, also stars Sherlock. a yeah. you know character from that was created during the Victorian era and has been essentially done to death ever since, uh, much like Dracula himself. And uh, uh, it's just three episodes, like the usual season of Sherlock. It definitely shares Sherlock's uh, kind of acerbic humor. Uh, 
It is an uneven show. The first two episodes are very good. The last episode is a real mixed bag, like real mixed bag. So some people even recommend skipping the last episode. I'm a completist. I like to watch the whole thing. But the show is fine. I mean, the, sh the show's a lot of fun. It's uh, scary. It's gory. It's definitely not for the kids. Um, Dracula is played by a Danish actor named Klaus Bang. Fun name. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's fantastic. He's a fantastic Dracula. He's got a great sense of humor. He's great looking. He's a real awesome... Another great Danish uh, leading man, in my opinion. I've seen him in other stuff. He's not at all Dracula-like in those films, so he's got some range. So I don't know what they're feeding them over there in Denmark, Steve, but uh, they're producing some, uh, you know, world-class movie stars. But I recommend <laughs> Dracula. It's fun. It's a love him or hate him kind of a thing. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I found it to be kind of a fresh and entertaining take on the classic... Victorian count. So give it a shot. What the heck? Got nothing better to do. Awesome. Um, that's so. Is there anything, Andre, that you have seen that uh, you, you don't recommend? Anything you checked out and was like, you know, this, hey, everybody, save your time? <laughs> Well, you know, I try to pick stuff that, that I'm, I'm more likely to like than dislike. The last Rambo movie, Last Blood. <laughs> yes. Okay, now, you know, I've never been a gigantic Rambo fan outside of the first Rambo film, First Blood, uh, starring the late, great Brian Dennehy, who just passed away literally two days ago. Uh, and uh, if you want to see a killer, killer Rambo movie, and it's kind of a killer survival movie, uh, First Blood is that movie. Uh, then... You know, of course, Rambo became a popular action character in the 80s, and there was Rambo 2, he went to Afghanistan, and or Rambo 3, he went to Afghanistan, and then blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they made a shitload of these movies, and this one was sort of supposed to be the last one, where Rambo is in the 70s, he comes home, and he has to defend his home against, uh, apparently, the Mexican cartel, uh, and uh, it's just not good. It's It's really not good. It's cheap. It feels kind of racist, <laughs> and I'm yeah. and I'm not big on that on 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 that label, like in a casual sense. But the it all, but it's just a, it's just like what happens when a movie is just kind of poorly slapped together, and uh, and you know, and just really all it, it cares about is the action and the violence. It's extremely violent if you like you know, watching people get killed in interesting booby trap sort of ways. If that's all you care about, you know, I would still say watch First Blood because <laughs> that's an actually <laughs> excellent film. Yes. This this one is this one is a bit of a shit show, but you know, to each his own. Uh but uh anything what what did you hate? Well, hate is maybe a strong word, but again, uh, one of those like, all right, let's check out this movie I've heard about that, uh, and uh, so I watched The Laundromat, um, another one of Steven Soderbergh's post-retirement movies. Right, um, right, and that seems like fun to me. What a great cast, and it's like kind of like a spy movie. It's in that genre. I mean, how could that be bad? Well, yeah. So this is, I mean. 
As a brief aside on Steven Soderbergh, I don't know about you. My opinion of Steven Soderbergh is he's, he's a, certainly is a talented guy. Uh, I respect his work ethic. He's always doing things, and he does interesting things. Like, you know, he does big, huge budget things, and then he does smaller experimental things. I mean, clearly a man who loves cinema, tries stuff. Great respect for Steven Soderbergh. Yes. But it's a real hit and miss for me. Like, it's uh, – some of the movies are really not great at all. Yeah. Uh, some of them are quite bad. Yeah, he's I made some think... really, really bad movies. Like, just, like, stunningly, like, whoa, seriously? Yeah, uh, and uh, I also – he uh, he shoots a lot of his movies as his own cinematographer. And yeah. uh, I, I think he's not real great at it. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe he's better than I personally would be, but it's uh, – I just, I just dislike the cinematography in a lot of his yeah, movies. Yeah, and lately and, he's been shooting movies on, on the iPhone, and, you know, that's just a gimmick to me that I just don't particularly subscribe to. The thing about The Laundromat here – is yeah it's a great concept and i'm i'm a big fan of this idea that you would take a real life story and kind of treat it as a black comedy like yeah. i think that's a great concept well he's done it before right he's done it well he's times. done it before and it's kind of funny because one of the first times i remember being like i mean obviously it's not the first based on reality black comedy but he made a movie called the informant mm-hmm. with an exclamation point at the end mm-hmm. of it and the informant was, man, to me, one of my top five, like, just botched opportunity movies I've seen. <laughs> uh, that I was so excited for The Informant. The whole concept sounded great to me. It has a great cast. And the movie just doesn't quite work. And the thing about The Laundromat is The Laundromat has a lot. Um, if anybody doesn't know the gist of it, it's about this woman who uh, her husband and her are on like a tour on a boat like a very slow moving boat and the boat sometime the boat capsized and a bunch of people including her husband died and she tried to sue the uh the tour company and she followed the money and it eventually led to kind of the disclosing of uh what's called um what was it the the Panama Papers? The Panama Papers, yes. Yes, so it's basically a way that um, lots of rich people, including lots of government officials from multiple governments in multiple countries, were hiding their money in offshore sure, accounts. Sure. And uh, this woman led, not just her on her own, but she was one of the people who kind of led to like the exposure of this. And so the movie... You know, it's it's kind of a complicated thing to talk about when you, and also uh, when you get into the nitty gritty of uh, shell companies and offshore accounts. So the movie tries to explore it in a fun way, similar to The Big Short. And um, The Big Short, to me, was a movie I like a lot about the housing uh, collapse right. in like 2007. Right. The Big Short, I actually think, did a really good job of this type of thing, where you try to explore complicated information through a mix of uh scenes and also characters directly addressing the camera right 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 and the laundromat is very much in that style it's not as handheld and jumpy as the big short not as heavily edited Uh as uh, adam mckay's movies but the exact same thing like there are multiple points where characters will just turn and just give you information straight to the camera and it just doesn't work as a movie it's uh as the first 30 minutes you're like this is going to be great 
And then it just completely falls apart and falls apart until by the end of it, you feel like you're in a boring college lecture class. Right, right. Or worse, you have a cruise that's about to go down. Or worse, you have a slow-moving boat that's about to kill your loved ones. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the laundromat, if you've ever been curious, because, I mean, it has an, like just an unbelievable cast. I right, mean, right. Meryl Streep is the star of it. Right. Um, you know, Gary Oldman's in it. It's just a great cast. But if you're ever seeing that thing pop up on your uh, Amazon or Netflix queue, uh, I, I recommend something else. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I, I heard that from other people, and I will be sure to avoid it. Uh, what, uh, what else, Steve? You got uh, any other movies uh, on streaming that you've particularly uh, been enamored with during this period of time, or would recommend I, from the past days? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, not, not, you know, I've, uh, I got stuff lined up. I mean, there's stuff, you know, we watch the Lord of the Rings movies with the family, but yeah, I don't think anyone needs to that. hear me uh, talk about that. You know, I, uh, it's not a free one. We introduced our son to Galaxy Quest. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, which uh, holds Quest. up great. It does hold up great. <laughs> does hold up great. And speaking of Galaxy Quest, uh, if you happen to have, uh, like, the CBS Direct app, uh, a streaming service, uh I thought the Picard show, which is the new Star Trek show starring Patrick Stewart, was excellent. Uh, really enjoyed that. So if you're a Star Trek fan, I would recommend that. Speaking of Galaxy Quest, which is a brilliant, of course, satire of uh, Star Trek. Um, another like older film, I, there's a couple of slightly older films that are on Netflix that I, I, I recommend watching. One is called Enemy. It's a Denis Villeneuve picture. Uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and it is a weird, weird ass movie. So again, you're in the weird art land. If you're in the mood for that, that's a good one to watch. It's yeah, it's that's, dense. that's a hole in my uh, Deneuve uh, watching. So I should yeah. check it out because I like a lot of uh, yeah. Own. Check it out, and we, we, we'll we could even talk about it in a more extended fashion. But it's definitely one of those weird. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal throughout his career has made these really weird movies. He actually, he kind of started his career uh, with a extremely weird movie, right? And then uh, and Donnie Darko, of course, is the movie I'm referring yes. to. And uh, this is very much in the in the genre of Donnie Darko. So uh, he comes back to it, and he's made a couple of other, I think, Nightcrawlers kind of in that weird uh, Jig Gyllenhaal world. So if you're ready for that again, uh, I recommend Enemy. Uh, a movie I really liked from... Uh, what was it, 12, 2012, maybe even earlier than that. But uh, it's Andrew Dominic's Killing Them Softly. It's Andrew Dominic's follow-up to one of my favorite films the last 20 years, uh, Assassination of Jesse James uh, by the coward yes. Robert Ford. This movie, likewise, stars Brad Pitt. It stars Richard Jenkins. It stars Ray Liotta. It stars James Gandolfini. Uh, and it stars Ben Mendelsohn. And uh, if that doesn't sell it right there, I, I don't know what else I could say. I mean, uh, this movie is a crime drama. Um, it's uh, very cynical, re kind of very based in reality crime drama. It's uh, not for everybody. It was kind of overlooked. I don't think people got it when it came out. Um, but if you enjoy a smart crime drama with some... A-list Hollywood acting talent. You should watch that. 
uh, killing them softly. There's jokes, too. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> it's, there's plenty of jokes in that one. And speaking of jokes, very dark comedy called Death of Stalin. Uh, this guy, Armando Iamucci, who, uh, uh, who's a British guy, despite his name, uh, and he started making these talky uh, comedies, like political comedies in England. One of them was in the in the loop, which kind of is a was, was his claim to fame. Uh, and uh, he's really good. He did Veep, of course. Veep. If you like Veep, uh, this is uh, this is Armando at his best. And uh, this is about literally the death of uh, the Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin in uh, in the late nineteen fifties. And uh, it has a very weird international cast of people you would not think would be playing the characters that they're playing. Of course, it takes place in in Moscow, and, you know, everybody ostensibly is supposed to be Russian, but it's a very English-centric uh, cast, but it's got some great American actors, including uh, Steve Buscemi uh, playing Nikita Khrushchev. I, myself, was skeptical of how something like this would go, and I found the movie delightful. If you know something about Russian history at that time, um, you will laugh even harder. And for you personally, Steve, this contains a, just a gem, a small gem of a Patty Constantine performance. Uh, I'm oh, a fan yeah. of that guy. Um, well, it's funny you uh, you mentioned this movie because I have not seen it, but uh, it has popped up on my radar. And if we had done this podcast in like a week from now, I might have uh, seen it because uh, I very much came up as like, oh, that's something I should check out. Yes, while I absolutely. Indoors. Absolutely. I, I highly recommend it. It's very dark obviously, but I found it to be kind of laugh-out-loud funny, Steve, and uh, and maybe it's just me, but uh, Death of Stalin, definitely highly recommended. And then, you know, just I just want to top it off a little bit with a movie called The Apostle, uh, or just Apostle. Ah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, director Gareth Evans did uh, for Netflix as well. Uh, it is a horror movie in the genre of Midsommar. If you know Midsommar, of course, that yeah. was kind of a little, you know, definitely a cult film. This is a double feature with Midsommar, perfect double feature. Um, weird. I don't even know how to describe it, really, but it's definitely in the same horror subgenre as Midsommar, about essentially sort of a cult colony that's isolated. Again echoes of what we're living through right now but not really not it's not like lighthouse or russian doll level of metaphor but uh but a cool movie different scary not for kids yeah uh, and i want to clarify this is uh this is apostle not the apostle the robert duvall movie the robert duvall uh, movie which is an excellent film actually sorry i i added the the it is just called apostle <laughs> and uh, it stars uh uh, Dan, Dan Stevens, Stevens. who's yeah. great, and uh, Michael Sheen is the other star in it. They're both excellent. And yeah, different. Michael Sheen is someone, if you only know him from uh, various times playing British luminaries, uh, this is a very different Michael Sheen yes. performance. That's, yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun. Dan Stevens is one of those actors who uh, he he can sometimes be a bit much. So to me, it somewhat depends on the material. Right. And uh, he is used very well in this. I, I agree. And it would not be a part you would think Dan Stevens would be cast in. 
You know what yes. I mean? Like the type of care, like you can imagine a Tom Hardy in this movie, you know? Yeah, or, it's a little uh, bit more of a, a rugged, more manly man than you would normally associate with Dan Stevens, but uh, he does, he's great in it. Yeah, I've seen Apostle 2, which is a, uh, I recommend it as a horror movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. It could be a double feature with Midsommar, though. If you're double featuring anything with Midsommar, um, I hope you get through this time safely. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I know what's about you. It's all over. Well, I finally saw the Hereditary from yeah, yeah. The, the earlier film by the director of Midsommar. And, of course, uh, Hereditary is a better film, and and that is a genuinely uh, is. creepy ass movie. Uh, so again, we both seem to be somewhat drawn to horror. I don't know what it says. I'm not the world's biggest horror fan, and here I am. I'm just listing off. I mean, just one horror film after another, apparently. So, uh, so I don't know what that says about us psychologically at this point. Uh, I do have just a couple of things I want to quickly just give a shout out to as far as TV shows. Again, what you were saying, Steve, this is a perfect time to expand your mind and watch stuff you've never seen before and maybe binge on shows, but also watch longer films, stuff you may have thought was just too time consuming to watch before. This is a good time for the Irishman. If you thought the Irishman was too yeah. long, got plenty of time. Uh, I myself finally watched Heaven's Gate. Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate, which is, of course, you know, it's the the director's cut is what I watched. And boy, if there were ever needed to to be like some producers who would step in and take the cut away from the director and chop it down to a reasonable length, which I actually heard that Steven Soderbergh himself has done. He cut down Heaven's Gate to a tight two and a half hours, and I could see that being an excellent film. But it is still a fascinating movie. It's legendary because it supposedly brought down, what, 20th Century Fox. It was a movie that was so over budget and such a box office disaster that it literally destroyed a movie studio. It is a really cool movie. It's a really cool twist on the Western. Um, It's an interesting movie politically. Agree with it or not, it is an interesting conversation that it's having at this particular point in time. So uh, it's certainly a flawed film, um, mainly because it's it's overstuffed. The script doesn't support its running time. But boy, it is beautiful. It's beautifully photographed. It has some stunning performances, including what I consider to be Christopher Walken's coolest on-screen character ever. He is so friggin' cool in this movie. Love him. Uh, So, Heaven's Gate. Perfect time to watch Heaven's Gate. A lot of good TV shows to watch. If you if you got the time, I recommend uh, um, well on HBO a show that no longer exists, uh, a little show called Vinyl, show produced by Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger, and it was a crazy wacky show that's revolved around the music industry. It was really trying to be the Mad Men for the seventies. You know, sort of that was the vibe. Instead of the advertising industry, they went with the music industry. So the show is packed to the gills with excellent music and beautifully 
directed cinematic musical uh, segments and uh, uh, vignettes, if you will. It's great. It's got a lot of great actors in it. It's funny. It's kind of frantic. It's uh, got a central character who you're not going to love because uh, he's kind of an asshole and he's on cocaine all the time. Uh, but, uh, man, it is a fun show to watch. It really, really deserved a second season. It got it got kind of shit on by a lot of critics when it was out, but uh, give it a watch. It's a great distraction for these crazy times. And uh, finally, I'll just give a little shout-out to a little German show on Netflix called Babylon Berlin. It takes uh-huh, the- yes, I've heard of that. That's also on my uh, little list. Yeah. Yes, it, it's, it's great if you're going to watch a foreign show with subtitles, if you're into that. Babylon Berlin is great. It takes place during that period between World War One and the time the Nazis came into power. And it is a detective story. It has great characters, wonderful actors, and a great kind of like milieu, the world of the Weimar Republic. It's very decadent. It's got a lot of, likewise, a lot of cool musical numbers, uh, a lot of great music, a lot of it by one of my favorite musical artists, artist Brian Ferry. Uh, and it's really cool. And uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a fun show. And uh, I highly, highly recommend it. It's in, I think there's three seasons on Netflix. So that's where I'm going to end uh, my portion of this, Steve, you got any, any other gems you remember to throw in this, uh, hodgepodge? Yeah, man, I took a recommendation from, uh, I think you and our friend Dave Carlson and my family's been watching the Lost in Space reboot on oh, Netflix. Yes, I love uh, it. Yeah, which again is a, an awesome show for, uh, you know, like my son just turned 12 and, uh, it's, it's right in the pocket of something that, is cool enough for him, like not super little kitty, but also interesting enough for the adults. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a sci movie set in outer space, but it's basically a family oriented movie. Very family oriented. Uh, fa- family oriented show. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, it's got some cool effects. The robot is different and cool. And yeah, so check out uh, if you're looking for something to watch with like a kind of a middle school age kid who. Uh, nothing too extreme, but also nothing, you know, better than My Little Pony, like my four-year-old's into. (laughs) (laughs) That show gets pretty intense, and I think it's very dramatic, and I think there's some real, like, good emotion in it, and it has good things, good, like, solid messages to teach its audience. It's like what I really consider a good family show, and and it's just well done, and, and... and totally keeps you on the edge of your seat. I mean, it's friggin', it's dramatic. It's, uh, uh, it's exciting. I love Lost. In yeah. Space. And I, and I want to say that show has like a third season coming up maybe in the fall. I so, hope so. Uh, now, is a, now is a great time to, okay, there's two seasons now on Netflix. So, uh, it's a great time to take a little stroll through the Lost in Space world and get all set and ready for, uh, when things are better in the world and, you're only watching TV once a day, or once a couple times a week, as opposed to filling up every hour of your lonely existence. But uh, hopefully, next time we're with you, we will be back in our cars, driving together, talking about movies or TV shows. But who knows, Steve? We may have another one of these episodes in us. So stop. Maybe, up. yeah. We'll see uh, how long our isolated life continues. 
hopefully not too long, but hey, let's uh, let's just stay healthy and uh, keep our sanity. Let's not turn this into another lighthouse situation, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, that's it. We'll leave you with that. Uh, I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Askin. And uh, we'll see you next time. We're film driven. All right. Everybody got to have a home I